Well, we're going back to uh, our series that we started five weeks ago. We took a little break uh, on Don't Let Anybody Steal Your Christmas. And we're going back to the mole, back to Matthew chapter 12. If you want to go ahead and turn there and get a jump on it, it's Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 50. And, um, you know, did we put Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you? Okay, well, we'll get on that one step at a time. That's all right. Uh, but uh, you should bring your Bible. It should be your best friend. You should have it everywhere you go. I preach out of the NIV, but there's a whole bunch of other translations that are just as good. Uh, New American Standard, stuff like that. Uh, what we're going to do is I want to kind of review a little bit about where we were five weeks ago, and then we'll launch into uh, today. Last week. And I'm going to be saying last week, even though it wasn't last week, just because that's how my notes are written. Last week, we were talking about these moles, the idea of these moles and what they are. Moles look like this. Here's a little mole there. Their feet are made to dig. They have uh, very tiny eyes that are covered with hair. Uh, not the actual eyeballs aren't covered with hair, but hair goes over the eyes and uh, they burrow in the ground and your, your field may look fantastic on the top, but underneath there might be colonies of these moles. And what we've been talking about is different things in our lives where it might look great on the outside, but underneath these things are destroying us. And uh, the last time we talked about this, uh, we talked about our speech. And uh, it was five weeks ago in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. I just want to review a little bit before we move on. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, for out of the overflow of the heart, so what, what's in your heart, the, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So what you speak comes from your heart, whether you want to hide it or not. It says, but I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. We talked about every day we speak 16,000 words, which is the equivalent of writing a book, 64 pages a day of a book. And so we were asking ourselves a question. What are you writing in your book every single day? What, what, where would your book be filed? Under fiction, under gossip, under sports trivia. Like what, what are you speaking every day? What comes out of your mouth? You got 16,000 words. What is it? And that your speech can be a molehill to show that you've got a problem with your heart. And that's what we talked about. Your speech is a molehill that shows you have a mole. And that was, that was uh, five weeks ago. And we were introduced uh, to this little guy who was our mole. Right? Now what's happening is the Pharisees come to Jesus. It's, his ministry is really heating up now. And they tell him, hey, we want to see a sign from you. Show us a sign. Show us something. Whip something up for us, Jesus. He's like a little carnival monkey. And uh, in the center ring is Jesus. So what's he going to do for me now? Right now, the Pharisees didn't really believe that Jesus was going to give them a good enough sign. And what I want to talk about this morning is this idea of what if you ask Jesus for a sign, what, what would it be? If you could say, well, I really want Jesus to show me something without a shadow of a doubt is Jesus. It's, this is what I want, because when we start asking for signs, we do it in a way that. Like kind of on our own standards with our own. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Now, nah, anyway, stuff. <laughs> How's that? Well, uh, we, we have our own idea of what it's going to be. 
And so I found this great video about a company that was trying to make a stop sign. Stop sign, that's a bad stop sign, usually they're octagon or whatever. But uh, I wanted you to watch this video, kind of give us an idea of if you were in charge of making a sign, what might it look like? Just a simple stop sign and they screwed it up, right? Here's the word that Jesus has for us today, this morning. Whatever your sign is, the one you're looking for, the one that you think will just be perfect, isn't going to be good enough. It's going to either be too busy or not enough. I want to look a little bit into this section, Matthew chapter. I'm not going to talk about 38 real quick. We're starting in 39. They basically say to him, we want to see a sign. Show us something that we can beyond a shadow of a doubt, hang our hat on and say, okay, you're the Messiah, right? And Jesus has a word for them. A strong word. He says this, a wicked an adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. That's, that's pretty brutal. Now, what's this idea of this generation? Basically, that, that Greek word is just, uh, we, would, we would use, well, we use it now uh, uh, it, to kind of give the idea of a period of time, a people, a society, uh, a way of thinking. You know, we would say uh, we're targeting generation X or generation Y or uh, what have you. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, when you are in an environment that needs a sign, it's wicked and adulterous. You're like, man, those are harsh terms. But if you think about adultery, really, what is it? It's a, it's, a, it's a leaving of your spouse to be unfaithful. And there's a language of adultery. And the language of adultery is, well, they, they just weren't supplying my needs. You know, she didn't, she wasn't all that. You know, when I first married her, it was different. Or he doesn't, you know, tell me he loves me. Or he, it's not working out. I don't get the signage from them. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't fulfill everything I want. So I'm going to go over here. And that's what happens when you say, I want a sign. You're saying, perform for me. Do something, whip something up, make me feel good. And the problem is, the reason why this is the word Jesus has for, I believe, us as well, is because what ends up happening is when you ask for a sign, and and we'll get into how we do that uh, in America and in the church, you're basically taking this world. We've been talking, for those of you visiting, we've been talking for weeks about this world. That's the kingdom of the world. And this world, this kingdom, is the kingdom of heaven. When you say, I want a sign, what you're saying is, you perform in this kingdom and I'll judge it by this kingdom. You do, what, you do something miraculous and by my standards down here, I'll decide whether or not that was good enough. It'll be a miracle down here. It'll be something that I can really say, oh, you know what? That was, that's what I'm talking about. And see, God doesn't work that way. God is not a performer. Jesus isn't a circus monkey that's trained to do whatever we ask. The word that God has for us this morning is. You have enough signs. See, the the people of this time, think about this. How many signs had they already gotten? They'd seen people in their own town healed of, uh, of paralysis. They'd seen people who'd been demon possessed for years be suddenly restored. Right. They've seen blind people See again, they've seen lepers cleanse. They've seen so many signs. What else could they want? And in a lot of ways, I feel like like the American church is the same way. 
we've grown accustomed to God speaking to us through his word, through a pastor, through a small group. And we're just, ah, can't you whip up something better? Can't you do something better? I, I talk to different people sometimes, um, and not from this church, but other churches. But ask them, well, I'm leaving my church uh, because I'm just not getting fed anymore. I'm just not, it's just not fulfilling this need or that need. And it's like, really? Like the pastor really doesn't preach out of the word? No, he does. It's just not. Have we lost that sense of awe to hear from the word of God? Have, have, we, have you? You know, it, it's amazing for me because I get the pleasure, the luxury, the benefit. For my job, I study the Bible. It's an incredibly cool job. If you're called to it, I say go for it. It's fabulous. During the week, I can open up the word and go in and the Lord gives me points. And he says, this is where the church is. This is the word I have for them. And it's exciting. But just like anybody else throughout the week, I get accustomed to it. And I'm going along and I'm, you know, okay, right now I got that. Yep, 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 yep. And it's like I'm sitting there with trick or treat and the Lord's giving me candies. And I'm going, no, I don't really like mounds. Uh, No, I got, do you got any more snicker bars? You know, and so I'll be in the word and the Holy Spirit will be telling me what to say. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. But, you know, I was kind of hoping for kind of like the video. It says stop. I, I like that, but really, is there another create, more creative way we could say that? Come on, whip something up for me, Jesus. Come on. I grow accustomed to... Now, think about this. I'm hearing from God. <laughs> what a miracle. What a sign. What a privilege. Do you know when you open your Bible... Can I see your Bible, babe? And you're having your quiet time, and you open it up. I'm going to pick anything here. I just picked up in Galatians. Wait. Oh, wait. She has it marked. Husbands, lay down your lives for your wife. <laughs> this is underlined with arrows pointing to it. No. No. I'm good around. Right? He says, for, I'm just going to pick a verse. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church. This is Paul talking of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism. He goes on and on and on. But God who set me apart from my birth, right? I read that right there and I go, man, from my birth, the Lord set me apart for some purpose, right? That revelation is from the Holy Spirit. When you open your Bible in the morning or whenever you have your quiet time and you're reading and you're, oh man, that is amazing. And sometimes we grow accustomed to it. And it's just, oh, yeah, I had my quiet time. It was just, yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, no, it was talking about being holy or whatever. This is where they were. They had Jesus right there. And they were growing accustomed to miracles. And they wanted a different sign. And I have to ask myself, am I the same way in my spiritual life? Have I been a Christian so long that to read the Bible, to pray, I... I have access to the throne room of God, the Bible says. That what Christ did on the cross has given me access to God, the God of the universe. Have I grown so accustomed to it? I'm just like, Lord, I also pray for the church and I pray that you'd bless it. And I pray that they'd have a safe trip to work and that my boss wouldn't be there, that he'd be sick and that (laughs) I'd get a lot of work done and that we'd score those two accounts and I'd get that bonus. Yes. Amen. Bye bye. 
And then I say, man, the Lord never speaks to me. Or, ah, I just don't have a very fulfilling prayer life. Have we gotten so comfortable with God speaking to us through his word and allowing us to go before him. And, and I, you know, have we grown so comfortable to being around Christians that when someone gives me a word of encouragement, I go, man, that felt really good. Thanks a lot. Missing the fact that the Holy Spirit, God himself, has worked through that person to encourage me because there was something I needed at that time. Have we, have we grown accustomed? Are we saying, Oh, show me a sign. Show me something else. I, you know, I really need something else. I think I'm going to start going here, doing that or doing that. I, I need something else in my life. We are surrounded every day by signs. Now, they might be really lame octagonal stop signs. They might not be fancy. I, I cut some of the stuff out of there. It was much longer video. There was some really funny stuff, but it was going too long. But they were, well, anyway. But that's the, the reason the sign was, was, was pink and then blue was because they couldn't figure out which intersections were for men and which were for women. So they made a, a, a new sign that could be for both men and women. It was kind of funny. But, um, but have we grown, thanks. I, that's a thick Bible. You are very spiritual. Uh, <laughs> have we grown that accustomed to it? That's what I was asking myself this week. Like, man, those stupid Pharisees, they're always asking for a sign. They're trying to trick Jesus. Uh, I had to ask myself, are we the same way? Have we just grown accustomed to God working in our life that it just becomes everyday mundane stuff? What happened is uh, in Corinthians chapter 1, Paul kind of addresses this, right? And he says this. He says, for the message of the cross... The fact that you're a sinner and that someone needed to die to save you from hell, to save you from separation with God, that, that thing is, that message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, think about that. If I were to, if, I don't know how many people know Christ as their personal savior here. I pray all of you. Actually, I pray that not all of you do, because if it's all of you, then we're not doing our job. Uh, but here's the message of the cross, okay? Now, if I were to come every week and tell you, share the gospel that Jesus died for your sins, you'd get bored. I'd get bored. I mean, the same thing over and over again. About, but do you hear what the scriptures are saying? It's the power of God. If you want more of the power of God in your life, stay in touch with the fact that you're a sinner saved by grace. If you stay in touch with that, if you wake up every morning going, Lord, thank you so much for what you did on the cross. You will have more of the power of God in your life. Paul says this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. In other words, if I can stay connected with the gospel, stay connected to my sin, knowing that I needed a savior, if I can stay connected to that, I will have more of the power of God in my life. So it goes on, it says, to those who are perishing, but to being saved, it's the power of God. So it's foolishness. The cross, I mean, think about it. It's kind of a weird story. If I wanted a sign, it wouldn't be the cross. It would be something, it'd be a fireball, a big fireball. And it would come down, and it would talk to everyone on the earth and people would freak out and then it would give everybody milkshakes or something, some weird thing that couldn't be explained. A fireball, they might say, well, that was just an asteroid, but you could not explain the milkshakes, right? So 
it goes on. In verse 22, that, I apologize for that, that just came out. Um, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Now, here's what we're going to be looking at for most of the day today, okay? Well, morning. (laughs) You guys are like, man, you're going to go all day on this? No. (laughs) Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. These are the two things that draw us away from God. We either want to see more miracles or we just don't know. We want more wisdom. Like, "Ah, explain that to me. I don't know if I should really accept that yet. Those are two stumbling blocks. And it goes on and it says this, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. The sign we made The sign that God chose to use isn't as hip as you'd really want. It's a cross and you have sin and you need a savior. It's foolishness to the Gentile goes on to the uh, to the Greek. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. See, I have to think to myself. As I get into the word, as I'm paid to read the Bible, who gets paid to read the Bible? That is the coolest job. And yet I can just be going through, no, no, that doesn't work. Okay, yeah, what about this? What about that? Instead of going, ah, the very words of God, I get paid to study them. He's giving me truths. He's opening my eyes. He's, I can't lose I, as a pastor, guys, as a Christian, if you've been a Christian for years, you cannot lose sight of that gospel, of the fact that we are sinners saved by grace. Now, why? Well, we go on. That's the word God Jesus has for them. If you are a sign seeker or, or it has to be all spelled out with knowledge, it's wicked and adulterous. That's the word. The second thing is the witness. He says, well, what do you mean the witness? Well, he goes on and he says, no sign's going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Okay, everybody, anyone who's been to church knows the story of Jonah. Jonah hears by God. He's going to go preach the gospel, Old Testament gospel uh, to Nineveh. Um, He runs away. He gets swallowed by a whale. uh, Right. And the whale looks like this you know it looks like a giant it looks like you know you've seen it with big mouth right and then he and then he gets he finally you know gets he lives and he goes back and he speaks to Nineveh reread the book of Jonah it is picking awesome the way God cares about people it's amazing it is a rat it is a radical story go back and read it That's your homework this week. Read Jonah again and see the heart of God. See what God does. Because Nineveh was a wicked, wicked city. It would be like, I'm not picking on cities in the U.S., but, you know, the one everyone picks on is Las Vegas, you know, so because it has gambling and strip clubs. So we'll, we'll beat on Las Vegas for a little bit. But it's like Las Vegas. Okay, nobody cares what happens in Nineveh, stays in Nineveh. It's just a nasty, nasty place, right? Okay, Uh, you guys are on it this morning. So Jonah goes to Nineveh finally after he's been bathed in fish vomit is essentially what happens. Jonah, he says, no way, I'm not going to Nineveh. Now, listen, guys, this is very important. Jonah hears from God. God tells Jonah, go share the gospel with Nineveh. 
So he hears from God. Then he takes off and he gets on a ship. And then God does a miracle by batting the ship around with a bunch of waves and wind and kind of that kind of stuff. And the people on the ship freak out and it says they all cry unto their own God. And then they cast lots and they figure out. So God uses the, the ship, the people, and they're just casting lots. And God's like, whatever, I'll use that. But it's Jonah's your man. They throw Jonah overboard. It says God provided a fish. Now, we always say it's a whale. It didn't have to be a whale. Don't get hung up on the whale. God could have created a fish right then for Jonah called a Jonah fish that only swallowed. It's a whole purpose in life was to swallow Jonah. Right. And then get carved up into steaks. I don't know. But there's this fish that swallows Jonah. Jonah is under there and he begins to cry out to God. Now, listen. So God speaks to Jonah. God provides a storm for Jonah. God provides a fish for Jonah. God provides a way for Jonah to get back in touch with God. Okay, so Jonah does that. Oh, man, there's seaweed wrapped around my head. Save me. You can read about it. It's in Jonah. Awesome book. And the fish vomits Jonah up on land. And Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preaches the gospel to them and they repent and he's mad. How in the world, how in the world does a guy go through all that and end up mad at God? He he says, God, I knew you were going to save him because you're compassionate and loving. I knew it. And he goes and he sulks. In the desert. And he makes himself a little. Because he wants to see what's going to happen to Nineveh. And it's not being destroyed. And he's upset at God. So God causes these vines. I don't want to ruin it for you. It is just so neat. But I I can't help it. So God causes these vines to grow over. And to give him shade. And now now Jonah's stoked. Because he's. Now it's cool. And he can relax. Oh great. And then the Lord sends a little worm. And eats the vine. And then the vine dies. And the Lord sends a hot one. And now Jonah's upset again and the sand's in his eyes and he's upset. What in the world is going on with Jonah? Do these things happen so often that he just doesn't, they don't even mean anything to him? I started thinking, what's going on in my own life? Are there things I'm just so accustomed to? Oh yeah, yeah, nine people came to Christ. Fantastic, do, 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 whatever. What? Have Have I lost it? So, goes on, it says this, the witness, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. They did not need a sign. Think about this, okay? Nineveh was a huge city. It says in Jonah 3, 3 that it takes, it took three days. If you wanted to visit it, it's going to take three days. Have you ever been on a trip? You say, I'm going to go to Rome. And someone says, oh, you're going to need at least a week in Rome because it's got so much stuff. I don't know if they did that. That was kind of weird, but... (laughs) My point is, right, they say you need so much time. That was the way Nineveh was. You needed three days to visit it. So this guy shows up. Imagine I show up in Las Vegas. I get out of the taxi and I walk and I smell like fish puke. And my hair is all stuck up like this. I got bits of seaweed all over me. And I walk up and I go, hey, you guys are going to hell unless you change your ways. What's what's Las Vegas going to do, right? It's like, cuckoo, right? They'll lock me up. Not Nineveh. They go, you know what? You're right. He's going, what do you mean? Look at me. Nineveh did not need a sign. They just needed to be told that they need to repent. And that's why Nineveh was going to rise up 
against that generation and any other generation that needs a sign for life change. If you need a sign, the people of Nineveh needed nothing. They repented and they repented all the way down to the animals. The king of Nineveh said, we are wicked and rebellious. Every, I, everyone's going to fast. They're going to cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes, including the uh, cattle. I don't know how cattle repent, but they wanted cattle to repent. From some guy who just shows up, who hates them, who smells like fish puke. And he's saying, the reason that generation will rise up, Nineveh will rise up, is that you had Jesus walking around with you and you didn't repent. So we bring it to our own day and we say, I've got, I have infinitely more, infinitely more than those Pharisees did. And yet... There are times in my life where my sin doesn't even bother me. And I had more than you said, well, they had Jesus walking around. I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I think I got one up on the Pharisees. I've got the word of God. More books than they had. <laughs> what, what is going on? Then it, go, then it goes on. It says the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Well, now her deal was different. She hears about Solomon. She was a queen of a very, very wealthy uh, on a trade route to India. They had been trading and they became very, very wealthy. And she was the queen. And you know what she did? She got out of her comfort zone. You got to read it. It's in First Kings. It's awesome. She gets out of her comfort zone. She gets a whole bunch of people with her. She gets all these riches and she goes and says, I'm going to find out if this Solomon thing is real. So she goes and she goes to Solomon and she starts just firing questions at him. And, you know, Solomon's the wisest guy in the world. He's just like, you know, next, next, uh uh-huh, right. You know, multiple choice, C, uh uh-huh, you know, D, all of the above. She's like, ah, right? Tries to trick him. They used to use riddles and things like that in those days. So she come up with a riddle, you know, like if a cow. No, I'm kidding. Uh, So, uh, and he's getting them all. She went after, now listen, Church is very important. See, when we follow after God, the two things that that are going to judge us is our relationship to sin. Like Nineveh just went, oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's get right with God. And how serious we are about probing about who Jesus is, about who God is, about what this life is all about in Christ. Because the queen of Sheba gets out of her. She was fine. She was in this. She was in her palace. She had everything she needed. But she heard about this wisdom and she went and and God met her there through Solomon. This is what she said. Oh, I I moved on from Jonah. Um, uh, We'll get back here. Let's just do this real quick because I have to go through them anyway. Um, These are the differences between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah was buried in disobedience. Jesus was buried in obedience. Uh, Jonah hated people. (laughs) which is not a good skill set if you're uh, a missionary. Uh, Jesus loves people. Okay. Jonah ran from his call. Jesus ran to his call. Jonah was disobedient. Jesus was sinless. Okay. Now watch this. Going back to Jonah real quick. I, I moved on too fast because this is so awesome. In Jonah 4.11, Jonah's all ticked off about the vine and the worm. Okay. Christians, please hear me. <laughs> Please hear me because I'm right here with you. How many times 
has God wanted to work some great thing through our life and all we are focused on are our circumstances. We're happy when there's a vine. We're mad when it dries up. Missing the whole thing. Now watch what God says here. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. God's going, they're morons. It's not that they're evil, they're stupid. Now listen. And many cattle as well. God cares about his creation. Should, this, is how, this is how Jonah ends. Should I not be concerned about that great city? In other words, Jonah... I don't care about your vine and your worm and the fact that you didn't want to go there. I don't care about that. There's a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing, 120,000 of them. And I don't want them destroyed. The mission is more important than the missionary. I'll let that soak in for a little bit. The mission is more important than the missionary. Listen, if I don't do my job, if I start to uh, reject God or do something funky or whatever, the Lord will remove me and he'll put somebody else here because you are more important than me. My job here isn't as important as you guys doing what God has called you to do, you see? So he goes on, he says, should I not be concerned about that great city? Okay, so there we go. Sorry, I missed that. Okay, now we go back to the Queen of Sheba. Now watch, watch what she says. She says, praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Why? Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. She's saying, man, God really cares about people. I can see because you're king. Right. So the Queen of Sheba goes, she's searching for knowledge. She's getting her questions answered and she turns to God. The Ninevites, they're they're showing their sin. They turn to God. And so both of them will rise up against that generation and any other generation that is not connected with its sin and and is always looking for more and more and more and more and more and more, and more knowledge without ever turning to God. You see that? The Jews seek a sign. Nineveh didn't seek a sign. The Gentiles search for wisdom and it just never comes. And everything about Jesus is foolishness to them. So the Queen of Sheba, a Gentile Arab woman, (laughs) think about that, will point to the Pharisee and go, you blew it, dude. You blew it. Because God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. See, when we ask for a sign... We say, man, Lord, I just don't know. I just don't know. There is somebody in some other generation going, dude, you got to be kidding me. I made that decision. I didn't have half the stuff you had. Because I've lost touch. I've gotten so used to hearing God's voice and, and, you know, this and that. And all I care about is the vine and the worm. And I feel uncomfortable and I don't want to do that. We cannot be that way, church. We cannot be there. There's a witness against us. So the word is a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. The witness is these people of Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba. And here's the warning. So what happens now is Jesus then goes into this weird thing on demons, this weird discourse. And basically he starts telling a story and he says, okay, if a guy has a demon and then they get rid of the demon 
the demon goes to a dry, arid place, and it sits around for a while, and the guy cleans up his life. But then the demon says, you know what? I think I'm going to go back. And he brings back seven more, more powerful demons, and the, the guy's worse off than before. And you go, that's bizarre. <laughs> and I've heard people, like, preach on demonology, like, well, here's what we know about demons. They go to a dry, arid place. That's not what Jesus was saying, okay? It's not the point. Jesus wasn't giving a a point to how we uh, uh, deal with demons, because watch this. He says, then it goes, this is after the demon has left, and it comes back, and it takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that man is worse than the first. Here's the point. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Now, what in the world is he saying? This is what he's saying. It's a great New Year's message for everybody. He says, if you clean up your life, if you get rid of your demon, whatever it is, whether it's a real demon or whatever, if you clean up your life and you don't replace it with Jesus, what's going to happen is what's going to come back is going to be worse than before. You say, oh, so if I give up gambling and I clean up my life, then when, I, when that demon comes back, it'll be gambling and I'll be a pedophile, and I'll rob banks, and I'll be a murderer? No. What will come back is pride. (laughs) What will come back is, you know what? I cleaned up my life. I'm okay. What will come back is a blindness of need. That's what will come back. You'll go, well, you know what? I don't don't really need God because I've cleaned up my life. That is a worse condition than being evil and going, man, my life is a wreck. Now hear me, hear me, because it's very important in America, okay? We, we, we keep saying, oh, America's going down the tubes. You know, we need, more, we need more morality in America. We do not. We need more Jesus in America. See, if, 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 the worst thing that could happen is, is for America to be a moral country, and we all you know, are, 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 you know, doing the right thing and we wave to each other as we drive down the road and no, you please cut in front. You must be in a rush, you know, and we're going along and all the law, there's no laws being broken or whatever. And we go, yeah, you know, we pretty much got it. That is a worse condition than America sliding down a moral path that God says we're going to anyway and waking up one morning going, this is not working. That's a better position. If we clean up America and make it great, but we don't put in Jesus, it's going to be worse because we're going to think that we're earning our way to heaven and we're going to hell. Because why? We've lost the cross. We got too comfortable. Every morning we didn't wake up and go, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Thank you, Lord. See, the, the person who cleans up his life, he says, oh, you know what? I don't gamble anymore. Things are going well. When really he should say, oh, Lord God, thank you for saving me. I didn't, I didn't do that on my own. You did that. Now watch what happens in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell. If you look at that word dwell, it's the same thing where it says, and they go and live in there. 
in there, which is inside that man. It's the same word. It's dwell in Ephesians, but it's live. And it's the same thing. In other words, if you clean up your life for New Year's, you make a New Year's resolution, I'm going to shed 20 pounds. And you go and you're 20 pounds thinner and you look beautiful, but Jesus isn't there. It's a waste. If you say, you know what? I'm, if this, I'm not going to be in debt anymore. And you don't and you get out of debt and you're there you are, but you're not faithful to God in your finances. It's worse than before. Jesus has to dwell there. You see, because if Jesus is dwelling there, when the demons come back and they're seven or a hundred or whatever, Jesus is like, uh, uh, sorry, I've got the deed to this house. It's mine. I paid for it with my own life. It's mine. And so pride comes in and says, man, you really cleaned up your life. And you, you're like, no, I didn't. It was Jesus. You see that? That's the warning. And it's a warning to us, church, please. We cannot lose the connection with the gospel. We cannot, once we get to a certain point in our Christian life and we go, yeah, you know, I used to have all these things and now I go, I'm pretty good. I go to church every day and I don't cuss and I don't drink. and I want. So what? That's not the Christian life. That's morality. Finally, the wisdom. So what happens is Jesus is going off on the Pharisees again. And what's begun to happen in his ministry is people are starting to think he's going crazy. (laughs) They think he's losing it because, number one, he's just like outwardly blasting the Pharisees. And number two, he's saying stuff like, hey, you should eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know. And people are like, what are you talking about? Or, you know what? You need to really hate your family. That that'll be, you know, let's let's go with the kingdom of God. And they're going, dude, you're crazy. So it's. His mom and his brothers show up. So he's talking and somebody says, hey, Jesus, your mom's calling you, you know, right? And he says, this is what he says here in verse 48. He replied to them, who's my mother and who are my brothers? And he points to his disciples and he says this. Here are my mother and my brothers. And 50 is the kicker. This is it. This is it, church. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. See, the sign, the, 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 the thing that you want to see of like, well, prove to me the kingdom of God is, is met by obedience. And so if, I want, look, if you want to ask me for a sign that I know God is, is true, I'm going to point to my own life. Not, not because, you know, well, just look at me. <laughs> God is real, you know. I, uh, but <laughs> what, what, when I act out in obedience... My life changes. I have purpose. My life is fulfilled. And I go, oh, my goodness. I couldn't do anything without the cross of Jesus Christ. That's my sign. My redemption, the Holy Spirit, as, a, as God speaks to me through his word and as I actually do it, right? And my life begins to change and it's more fulfilled and I have more joy than ever before and I have more peace than ever before. That is my sign. That is my witness, That's the gospel. My life lived out according to God's word and according to my position to the cross. 